The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at citylifetc.org. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. If you're not already, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Just a quick note, um, it says Ruth 2, but today's reading is from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, This morning, I want to start by thinking about uh, a big question and that we all ask, and that question is, what makes you happy? Um, There's a lot of different ways, a lot of different answers we could probably give to that, uh, from the superficial and uh, little things that make us happy to the the biggest things in life. And, um, you know, but there's probably some top contenders for the answer that, that come to mind most often. One, one typical answer to that question would be money. People often look to that. Uh, in a recent survey of 2,000 Americans by a, a, fin- a financial company, uh, Empower, they found that seven of 10 interviewees said that they, they responded strongly or somewhat in agreement to the statements, having more money would solve most of my problems. Uh, how much more money? Uh, well, Regardless of what income bracket the people were in, uh, across the board, people wanted a 40 to 50 percent raise in their salary. Uh, so clearly, the belief that money can't buy happiness is not. Uh, we, there's a money can buy happiness is a belief that's in the air. Um, but we we know also at the same time that that's that's not enough. And another similar study by a, a psychologist found that people Google search how to be happy more often than they Google search uh, how to be rich. So we, we know that it's not in money that ultimately that we're going to find happiness. Um, so, so what else do we look to? We, I mean, and maybe in this time of year, especially in, in uh, celebration of Christmas can get, be eclipsed by stuff. Maybe it's, maybe it's the next gift or the next good thing that we're given. Um, or maybe it's pleasure. The good, goods of food or sleep or Sex or re- entertainment or travel, any, any of those good things can be what we look to to get through the current uh, low that we're in. Uh, maybe it's fitting in or being liked or being honored and, and seen to be valuable and uh, worthwhile. Uh, that might be something, maybe we associate that more with youth at first, uh, but really it just it grows with us into old age. The, the Will I fit in at school or will my friends like what I where 
eventually just becomes, will, will my boss value my work in this project or, or will my spouse uh, accept uh, what, I, what I say to him or her? Are they, they going to respond to it negatively? So we, anyway, we all long for happiness, however we conceive of that, what it means. Uh, but the psalm that we've just read, it has in mind something that's fuller and more complete and more satisfying than, than any of those good things. Some of them, uh, good gifts from God, many of them, uh, if we enjoy them in the way that he's given, but God has given us this blessedness that's talked about in the psalm. Uh, he's writing about true happiness, full, complete fulfillment. Uh, and what the psalmist says about this, this happiness, this, this blessedness, is that it's something that is revealed by God and that it's something that's given by God. So uh, he, he's saying that blessedness or ultimate happiness, I'm going to use those interchangeably, uh, is something that's revealed in the Word of God, and it's something that's given in the Son of God. Um, so first, he, he talks about true happiness being revealed in the Word. Uh, he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, uh, stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. Uh, when, Blessed, the word that he uses, it's just something that I already said means ultimately happy. Uh, it, it occurs uh, 36 times in the Psalms. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, and then we also think of Jesus picking up the, the similar idea in the Gospels when he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit or blessed are those who mourn or who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The idea often in the Psalms, it's it's put in close pairing with covenant relationship with God. This isn't something that comes from just anywhere. He, this blessedness in the Psalms is a result of a person's covenant relationship with God who has given himself to us uh, and who gives more than what this world has to offer. And notice right after he talks about blessed is this, this person who he lists a list of things that do not bring blessing, in fact, uh, are the opposite. There's this progression from walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the uh, way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. Um, so this, it's a building progression that starts, you know, from, from standing and, listen, and just getting a little bit of advice or counsel from a source that offers something more than, uh, claims to offer something more than this blessedness in Scripture, uh, and then standing there and, and remaining in that council, and then sitting and, and decidedly giving into it. And we, we all feel the effects of that kind of progression. Uh, we can find any kind of counsel or advice that we want with a quick internet search and, and get an answer that will please us online. Uh, if it's the this way of sinners that we want, there's easy access to countless ways of facing life's challenges uh, that are given to us, whether it's um, uh, prosperity, uh, health, uh, meaning, finding any of those, we can, we can look uh, to a place that pleases us. And as to the seed of scoffers, uh, Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie calls this a pattern of identification. It's uh, close to the idea today that we as individuals, we can express our innermost longings and desires, and that's, that's where we'll find fulfillment. It's from within. Uh, but, so these three back-to-back metaphors uh, illustrate that we can get caught up in this counsel. Uh, 
And if any of us hears in that description something that is an indictment against them or, and not us or me, you know, we would do well to remember what Paul says in Romans. He, he says uh, in Romans chapter 2, after he's just listed uh, all the different ways that men have fallen short of God's glory in Roman, the end of ch- Romans chapter 1, he, he turns and says, Therefore, y- you have no excuse, you, man, every one of you who judges, uh, for in, in judging others for doing this list of things, you condemn yourself for practicing them yourself. We, we all know that at one time or another, we've, we've been this, this man walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. But, but he doesn't end there. This, this is contrasting two different ways of living life and two different approaches to receiving counsel. So the psalmist goes on and he says that the blessed, happy man or woman is someone who delights in the law of the Lord. What does he mean by the law of the Lord? Well, he's referring to the Torah. Uh, the, it would have been the first five books of the Old Testament, but if you, your Bible might have a footnote there that says uh, it means instruction. We can broaden that word and realize that it's talking about the whole word of God, everything that God has given us in his word. His, his delight is in the word of God. Uh, the word of God is his source of happiness. The, the same idea comes up later in Psalm 119 when the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It's the same word. That, that instruction, that word of the Lord is just, he loves it. Uh, and both in that Psalm 119 and, and here, there's this close pairing with delighting and loving God's word and meditating on it. So I, what does he mean by meditating on, on the word? I, that's maybe a foreign concept to us or, or might bring up ideas of emptying our minds and, and um, sort of trying to conjure up an experience or a feeling. Or, uh, but that's, that's not exactly what he has in mind. Uh, I think a few examples from Scripture would be helpful to, to think, what is, if, if this happy, blessed person is someone who meditates on God's Word day and night, what, is, what does that actually look like? Well, consider the example of David uh, first. David, in Psalm 16, 7, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and in the night also my heart instructs me. So meditation for David there is something, an instruction that he gets from God, and, and it's, it's even happening in the middle of the night. Uh, he, he might have in mind there, may, maybe David is sitting at his bedside and he's, he's got his copy of the, of, of the Bible and he's reading it. That, that very well could be. Uh, I think, though, based on other, other places where the psalmists talk about uh, meditating on it day and night and uh, hiding it in their hearts, that he, he might have even had it, he's got God's word just so deeply inside of himself that as he, as he goes to sleep and he thinks back over the day of all of the decisions that he's made for the kingdom of Israel, can you imagine the things that King David has going through his mind as he, as he lays down to bed at night? Um, the pressures and the, the decisions and the, the people who are unhappy with him. It's God's instruction that speaks to his heart and guides him. <clears throat> Another example would be the example of Solomon. Uh, Solomon in Proverbs chapter 24 talks, uh, he, he talks about an experience that he had where he was walking out 
uh, one day, and he passes by the field of a sluggard, he says. I passed by the field, and it was overgrown with thorns, and it was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And then Proverbs says, I, Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So Solomon was out, out in the world and walking through a field and saw a man who had neglected his calling. Uh, he, he, this, at first, was just an observation in, out in God's world. He's, he's seeing the, God's book of nature laying open before him, and he's reading it and using the mind that God's given him and seeing this. Uh, this is a person who's neglected building up their wall and planting their, their field, uh, weeding the thorns. But then there's an interpretation that takes place, and he has to you know, decide what, what should have happened here, and it's fairly obvious that the man should have taken care of, of his responsibilities. But uh, there's a need that we have for God's word to, to speak to us and give us even, even more understanding of the, of the things that we take in. So uh, at the beginning of Proverbs, you know, the, at the very entry of the book, Solomon writes that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and that fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he, he has this, his relationship with God that's guiding him to see, oh, this, this man has an obligation from, from God to tend to the things that he's been given. <clears throat> so his, his reverence and his love for God, his, the fear of the Lord guided him as he meditated on it. <clears throat> Thirdly, the, the example of Mary. Mary in Luke 2 in the Christmas story. Uh, the, the shepherds come from the fields and they're running in to tell Mary, we've, we've seen the angels, they've, they've said that uh, you're, this child that's been born to you is going to be great news for all people and he's going to save people from their sins. And we, we know already that Mary had been treasuring up God's word in her heart. Her, her song that she sings in Luke chapter 1 is just full of the Old Testament. But how does she respond to the shepherds? Mary, it says that Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And uh, so she's taken what she's heard and she, she's going to make it her own and she's going to see what's just happened in light of God's word. <clears throat> uh, with, with a few of these examples in mind, I think uh, a definition might be helpful of, of well, what, does that, what, do I, what does meditation really actually involve? Uh, there's a, Peter Van Maastricht is a Reformed theologian and in the 17th century, he, he, he walked through all those examples that I just gave and, and, and more, and then he dis- described meditation as uh, focusing kind of all of our being or everything that's inside of us, so to speak, uh, in order, he says, that we may not only grasp the genuine sense of the divine word in our minds, but also to experience the force of it in our hearts. We want the power of the word and, and the the truth that it contains, not just to change our minds, but to change our hearts, to change our actions. He goes on to say that uh, meditating on the word involves uh, asking at least two things about a passage of scripture. We're asking what, what truths does this contain to form our judgments and our thoughts, but also what, what good things are there in here to stir up our desires and, and to change our actions. Uh, so meditation is a bringing all of the word into contact with all of our life and asking, how, does, how should I then live? And uh, if, if we don't 
have this, this delight. If, if it's lacking, you're not there, we, we don't come to the word and, and, and enjoy it with that level that the psalmist is saying. Uh, I, would, I would just keep reading and see that the metaphor that the psalmist uses is as of a tree. Uh, trees don't grow overnight. This, this is uh, a lifelong process by, of receiving the nourishment of the word and that leads to that delight. Uh, and so he says it's like a tree planted by streams of water bringing forth fruit in its season. Um, so trees aren't immune to the change of seasons. They, seasons come and go and, and the fruit is, they bear fruit and then they lose their fruit. And the sim, that there's relevance, I think, there for our lives too. We, we have seasons of fruitfulness and, and joy in the word and then seasons of uh, where it's just not clicking, and it's, it's hard. Uh, maybe bad news from a family member or a, a layoff at work leads to a, a cold winter season, and uh, we're not seeing the fruit coming uh, from the word, but the righteous person who delight is in the law of the Lord goes through all of these seasons because he's rooted in the word and, and the nourishment, the life is still there. The tree doesn't die in the winter, and it's still um, <clears throat> withstanding drought and storm and trial. Now, I, I think at this point, there's a dilemma that arises because true happiness can't only be something that's revealed by God. I, I said it's, it's revealed by God, but there's, there's more than that. Our, our needs are deeper uh, than ignorance, so they require more than education uh, to solve them. And in fact, Revelation is it's more than just education. The, the, because in God's word, he's revealed his saving acts. He's revealed what he's done for us in history, in real space and time history, to save his people from sin and from the consequences of our actions. Uh, so God has done what each one of us has failed to do, uh, weakened by our sin, and that, that leads to the, my second point of true happiness being given in the Son of God. Uh, I, so downstairs in kids' life class the last few weeks, the kids have been going through numbers. Uh, and Israel's wandering in the wilderness after being at Mount Sinai. And I think, I think these passages really illustrate the, the challenge of this psalm with describing this delight in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. The Israelites sure weren't a picture of that. Um, and so they, they were nonstop complaining, grumbling. And at every turn, they, God had saved them out of slavery, yet um, repeatedly uh, they complained about their food, they complained about their leaders, they complained about not being back where they had uh, the comforts of Egypt as they seem to remember them. And that's just part of our fallen nature, too. I know each one of us, I know I'm prone to, to complain about anything from the, from, and we can murmur against our parents or against our spouse. Can, silly things like the weather or the news uh, or, or weightier things that we murmur about the government or about our company or about our family or about the church. Uh, if we're, so it's if we're going to have a shot at this happiness that the psalmist is talking about, 
we're going to need help. And Israel's wilderness wanderings show that where they could not follow that law of the Lord, um, Jesus picked up their pattern uh, in, a, in a remarkable parallel and, and did exactly what they couldn't do. Um, you know, this, in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus comes into the world, and he, we read in, that he went into the wilderness for 40 days, he was tempted by Satan, <clears throat> 40 days, one, one day for every year, that Israel was in the wilderness. And uh, Satan tempted him in exactly in the areas where Israel failed. Uh, he, he goes after Jesus' appetite. He tells him, uh, command these stones to be bread. You, if you know you're hungry, Jesus, you've been fasting for 40 days. And uh, Jesus says, no, man sh- shouldn't live by bread only, uh, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what is Jesus recalling? Je- Jesus is, is calling uh, Satan's and our attention back to Israel grumbling and complaining. He's, he's quoting um, from Deuteronomy where Jesus, uh, or Moses had just said, Israel, remember this, these wilderness wanderings. Remember all of your, all of your failures here. You're going to fail more. Remember those failures. The reason for those failures, uh, Deuteronomy 8, 3 says that he humbled you, God humbled you, and fed you with manna, which you didn't know what it was, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So their, their trials, their, their struggles in the wilderness, and, and yours and mine, are for the purpose, are, are so that God might show us that any of those good things at the beginning that I talked about, or, or fill in the blank of what you're looking for this Christmas season to, to fill the, some of the longing in your heart and to, to make you happy and to... Uh, all of those good things, good as they may be, um, cannot be that thing that satisfies us at the end of the day. Um, and, and sometimes God takes those things away to show us that um, in, in sometimes painful experiences uh, to where he is teaching us that even when those things are taken away, uh, he is sufficient for us. <clears throat> so Israel didn't believe that. But, but Jesus did. Uh, at every temptation where Israel had failed, and at every temptation where we fail, uh, Jesus trusted in God and he relied on his word. Uh, that's why Hebrews calls him the author and the finisher of our faith. He, he at every point, completed what we couldn't do. Uh, and his obe- But uh, Jesus' obedience, uh, his, his completing what we could never do, will, doesn't give you or me one ounce of happiness if we don't, aren't somehow connected with him. If, if his obedience is just out there, he, he, sure, that's great, Jesus did that. Um, he, he didn't give in to Satan's temptations, um, but how does that help me? Uh, John Calvin makes the point really well when he says, we, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, he had to, be, uh, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. We, we need Jesus <clears throat> united to us. We need to become his and him to become ours. 
in order for his obedience to be ours. When we call on him by faith, he promises to come and to make his home with us and, and to be God with us. That's what his name means, Emmanuel. He's God with us. Uh, that, that is what we're celebrating this season. We're celebrating that Jesus came. Uh, though he was in the form of God, he took on the form of a servant <clears throat> so that we might uh, become friends and, of God. Uh, so that we would stand in the day of judgment, spoke of in Psalm 1.5. Uh, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Uh, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. <clears throat> so that way was walked by Jesus, who, who is himself the way, the truth, and the life. And because it was walked by him, we can walk it in happy gratitude and happy obedience uh, because we delight in his word that, <clears throat> that he's given and that he's fulfilled. So I would invite you to embrace this delight in God's word and to embrace the Son who has fulfilled it and given it to us this Christmas season. And then to discover more and more in him uh, the mercy and grace of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the many good things that you've given us in this life, for, for the family, for friends, for jobs and, and money and uh, good, good uh, enjoyable uh, experiences. <clears throat> we see, Lord, that all of those call us to delight through them in you, that to love anything rightly is to love it not for its own sake, but for you, the one who gave it to us. So we ask that you would um, help us to delight in your word and to delight in your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.